0: 19 i'm excited this morning we resume our study of the book of ephesians this morning and so this morning to help you out as we go through the sermon under your seat not the seat in front of you but directly below where you're sitting is a sermon notes page i want to encourage you to reach below you and grab a copy of this this will help us at one point in the sermon as we look at some things and kind of way of review and how god has loved us i want to give you your call your attention to that for this morning would you go ahead and find in your copy of God's Word the book of Ephesians? And as you're finding there, I want to remind you of kind of why we're looking at this book and what's going on with this. Just to remind you, Ephesians was a letter written by Paul. Paul was an apostle of Christ. Apostle means he's a sent one. God sent him on a mission, and part of his mission was to write for us a lot of what we have in the New Testament. Paul's writing in particular in the book of Ephesus, or writing in the book of Ephesians to the people in the town of Ephesus. Ephesus, if you remember, is the fifth largest city in the world at the time. It's a city of huge importance politically. It's a huge importance in the arts and culture as well. And he's writing to to believers in a city where there's many who do not know Christ. It's a city where there's one of the wonders of the ancient world was a temple to Artemis. And There's much false worship, much idolatry in this particular city. It's also a city full of witchcraft and the occult, what you call black magic. He's writing to believers who've been called out of that lifestyle, but still trying to live out their faith in a place, in an important city where there's much hostility still to the gospel. And to help them out, what Paul does is the first half of his letter, he reminds them who they are in Christ. He reminds them of their identity, and that's what chapters 1, 2, and 3, that we already looked at back in the summer and in the fall, of who we are in Christ. Then in 4, 5, and 6, he transitions, he tells them, now how do you live because of who you are in Christ? And where we paused back when we did the Advent focus for a few weeks in December, was the middle of the section of how do we live. And friends, the order is really important. We're not living out chapters 4, 5, and 6 to gain God's approval. Because we have God's approval, because of all God's done for us in chapters 1 through 3, this is now how we live in response. So we're in the middle of that section, and as we work through chapter 4 before Christmas, what we got to was this, this format that Paul keeps telling us, of the model for how we live out our Christian life, is we put off all the things that hinder us from knowing Christ, and we put on, we replace it with Christ's likeness. It's not enough to just not sin. We have to replace those simple patterns with righteousness, with holiness, with Christ's likeness. And that's where we come to today, is where we were in the middle of that, seeing him progress through that. And what we come to today in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 2, is kind of the epitome of all he said. He's told us to put off things like lying, to put off things like anger, to put off divisiveness. He's told us to put on things like truth-telling, and he's told us to put on love. And he's going to just bring all this together into perhaps the epitome of all the put-off, put-on today, into chapter 5, verse 2. And friends, I'm not a big New Year's Resolutions fan, but if we can live out by God's grace, chapter 5, verse 2 we're going to see this morning, it will revolutionize our families. It'll revolutionize our our homes, our churches, our workplaces, and everything. And so my prayer for me and for you this morning is as we look at this, this would be really what God would challenge us to do this year, is to live out by His grace, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, in all that we do. So let's come to Ephesians chapter 5. Let's go back to verse 1 for context. I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you for your word, God. I'm thankful for particularly this book of Ephesians that we've spent a lot of time in over this year. God, I pray this morning that your word would come alive to us. The Holy Spirit, you would just breathe life into our hearts and our minds to understand your word, to apply your word. And I pray particularly that as we think about loving others the way you've loved us, that you give us conviction where we need conviction, you give us encouragement where we need encouragement, and you would do what only you can do to let your word come alive to us. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, the main idea I have for us out of this text and our challenge for us as well is simply this. Love others. In the same way God loves us. Love others in the same way God loves us. Again, friends, if we would do this in our homes and our workplaces, in our schools, with all that around in our church family, in our life groups, even with people we just meet on Sunday mornings, it would revolutionize our lives. And it sounds so simple. Love others the way God has loved us. And yet, if we're honest, it's really hard. Because we all fall short of this. And we realize how short we fall when we look at what the standard is. It's not just love others the way your grandmother loved people. The standard here is love others the way God loves us. If we think about God's love and all he's done for us, that is a standard that we have now been given. Love others in the same way God loves us. Now, as we think about that, I want you to see, first of all, this is a command. This is not an option for us. This is a command that God gives us. If we are in Christ, this is what he expects of us. again, I want us to be clear here that we do not obey this command to earn God's favor. We obey this command because we've already received God's favor. Look back in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. It's not be imitators of God to become beloved children. We don't clean up our act in order to gain God's favor. Rather, because we already are, by God's grace, His children, because He's already adopted us and changed us and given us faith, because of that now, we imitate Him in response. And how do we obey Him? How do we imitate Him? Well, verse 2 gives us the epitome of everything we've seen of what it means to imitate Him and obey Him. And that is verse 2. Walk in love. This word walk is an imperative. That means that, again, it's a command, not an option. But it's also a present tense imperative. That means it's an ongoing command. It doesn't mean I can do it once and I'm okay. This means day by day, moment by moment, I'm to be doing what this command is. Consistently in my life, this is what's supposed to be there. And that is I'm supposed to walk a certain way. I've already seen the imagery of walking before. Paul uses walking as a metaphor for how we live. We already saw that in chapter 4 when we started this section of the book that he told us to walk worthy, to live worthy of who God, what God has already done for us. And particularly here he says the way we walk worthy, the way we're to live moment by moment, day by day, is to walk in love. That our day by day, moment by moment life is to be living a life of loving other people. Friends, family, co-workers, and the person in the car in front of us on Eastern Boulevard. We're to love all those that God puts around us on this. That is his, his command force of every moment of every day. His command, his expectations. We're to imitate him by loving others. And friends, We shouldn't be surprised this is the epitome of all that we've seen in Ephesians so far. Think back to John's gospel that we looked at last year. In John chapter 13, verse 34. Remember what Jesus said? A new commandment I give to you that you do what? Love one another, that you love one another just as I have loved you. There's the model again. Love others the way Christ has loved us. It's not just limited to John's gospel, though. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, a religious leader comes to test Jesus. And he's going to try to trap him really good here. And he says to Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus replies to him, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind... He goes on in verse 38 to say, this is the great and first commandment. Then he goes on in verse 39. And the second is like it. You shall do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And he goes on in verse 40 to say, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. It's that important. In fact, it's not just limited to the gospels. In James chapter 2, verse 8, I love how James describes this command to love. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Here, James calls it the royal law. It's been called the greatest commandment. Jesus calls it a new command I give to you. It's repeated all throughout the Scripture. It's repeated because it's that important. It's also repeated because it's so hard. So simple, but it's so hard, and we fall short so much. Why is it so hard? Because of our hearts, our simple tendencies of our hearts. They want our ways, they want our pride, they want our glory and our fame. And so we want our way more than we want to love and serve others. It's hard also because of the world we live in. The world doesn't model sacrificial love. The world tells us to fight for ourselves and stand up for ourselves. It doesn't teach us humility in loving others. It's also hard, let's not forget, and we'll get to this in Ephesians 6 when we get there. There's a very real enemy who seeks to oppose us, seeks to do all he can to create division particularly between believers. So he's going to do all he can to tempt us and stir us up, to divide us and not to love one another. In fact, I love the reality of the, the difficulty of loving one another the way it's described in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. We're told the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be sober, self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayer. So we're li- living in light of eternity. We're living in the fact that Christ is coming back. And so what do we do in these last days? We're told to be self-controlled. We're to be sober-minded. We're to be praying. But then I love what he says in the next verse, in verse 8. Above all, did you notice the elevation, the epitome of the commands? Above all, keep doing what? What is it? Above all what? Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, friends, this is where you've heard me say this before. When we translate things into English, we lose something sometimes. Did you know the Old Testament was written in Hebrew... ...the New Testament was written in Greek? So when, when Peter was writing this... ...he didn't use the words we use. He was writing in Greek. And when he said to keep loving one another earnestly... ...we struggle to translate that word earnestly. So depending on what translation of the Bible you use... ...you're going to find different words. It may perhaps in yours say intensely... ...or deeply... ...or fervently... ...or I use the English Standard Version... Or ...earnestly. All these are trying to translate a Greek word here... ...and convey something. But what's so interesting... ...the word that we translate earnestly, intensely... Is a Greek word that literally means to be stretched. Like literally, if you use this word and not a descriptor, it means to be stretched. And it's used of exercise of athletes when their muscles are stretched. How do you get stronger at the gym? Is you go and you lift weights. You stretch your muscles. You break them down by exercise. And the more your muscles get stretched, get broken down in the gym, the stronger. They become. That's the word that we struggle to translate earnestly, intensely, whatever. Literally it is to be stretched. So if you do a very, very literal rendering of 1 Peter 4, 8, it says, above all, keep being stretched and loving one another. Above all things, and all that is as you're looking towards eternity, as you're looking to Christ coming back, when you'll see him face to face. Above all things, what you're pursuing is to being stretched. So you're growing stronger as your muscles are being stretched. You're being stretched and loving one another do you realize that God in His kindness to us gives every single one of us people who are difficult to love by His design? Everyone I know has someone in their life who they struggle to love the way Christ has loved us. Why is that? Because God in His sovereign plan and goodness puts people in our life to stretch us in loving others the way He has loved us. And He puts them there and then calls us to and says, Love them... ...the way that I have loved you... ...and we go, uh, Lord, I don't think I can... ...and he goes, that's exactly right, you can't... ...but let me help you, let me give you grace... ...to live this out... ...and friends, not just to tolerate them... ...but to love them... ...in First Peter 4, 8... ...you can probably guess what type of word for love is there... ...we've talked about this before, in the Greek language... ...there's multiple words for love... ...there's a friendship love, and there's a sexual love... ...and then there's a, what we call agape love... ...the highest love, the most covenantal love... ...the most committed love... You probably guess what this is. This is keep agape loving one another. Keep being stretched and agape loving one another and covenantally loving one another and committed love to all those around you. It's the agape love that we see in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. And walk in agape love as Christ agape loved us. Well, what does that look like, friends? What does it really look like to love others the way Christ has loved us? Just recently, I was talking to a guy. Don't worry, it's none of you in this room. We were talking enough about the gospel. And we're talking about struggles in his life to believe. And he was telling me in this conversation about how he just can't forgive people. And so I was trying to challenge him for what we've been studying in Ephesians about what it looks like to forgive, is it, to forgive others. And he goes, I wish I could just see what that looked like. I said, you can. It's called Jesus. We look to Christ and he's the model for us in this. How do we look at some of this? Okay, what does it look like to love other people the way Christ loved me? Friends, we look to Jesus. Look back at Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2. And this is where I'm so thankful that Paul points us to this model. And walk in love as, just as, exactly in the same way, Christ loved us. If we want to figure out what it looks like to agape love those in our life, even those who stretch us to love, we look to the example of Christ. We look to Emmanuel, God with us, what we just were celebrating at Christmas, because he's the perfect model. How do we look to Jesus? I think sometimes, friends, we overcomplicate it or we make it too mystical. We, we open our Bibles. We read the Gospels. We look at the life of Christ and we model what we see Jesus doing there. And I just commend to you as you start the new year to let's make Bible reading and look at the life of Christ a priority in each of our lives. So how do we walk in love as Christ loved us? Well, let's take a minute and let's think about how Christ loved us. So first I thought I was going to give you a homework assignment this week and ask you to read Ephesians and look at all the ways Christ loved us. And I thought, well, instead of giving you homework, let's do it together in the room this morning. So that's why you have a handout this morning. So everyone grab your handout and open to the inside, okay? A little bit different this morning. How has God loved us? Well, if we want the model, it is laid out for us. We could go back and look at the Gospels and see all that Christ did, but let's stay in the book that we've been looking at. I thought it would be a fun way to help us get our mind back around Ephesians and what all... We have seen. So, how has Christ loved us? You see, we got a whole bunch of verses. We're not going to put them on the screen. Rather, I want you to, if you have your copy of God's Word open, to turn back to chapter one. We're going to read a verse. And here's what we do: you see a blank next to it. I want us to come up with a word, a word that describes God's love for us. Let's try to get our minds around. If we're going to model our lives after how God has loved us, what does that look like? Let's see if we can't describe it in words that we use every day. Makes sense. So let's go back. You see on your handout there, the first verse I want to look at, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. So look in your copy of God's word, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. What do we learn about God's love? God's love is giving. If you want one word to put in that blank next to that verse, what do we learn about what it looks like to love others? It is giving right there. That God's love is giving things to us. Chapter 1, verse 4, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. He chose us. What do we learn about God's love? God's love is initiating. God's love doesn't wait for us to get our lives fixed and right and run after Him. God initiates. He pursues us. So God's love is an initiating love. Well, then at the last two uh, words of verse 4, and it goes on to verse 5, in love, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So it tells us that in love he predestined us. What do we learn about God's love? It is unconditional. That God chose to love us when we were unlovely. God chose to show an unconditional love for us. He didn't say, if you do this, now I'll love you. He says, I love you, period. Period. You also see there in verse 5, He adopted us as sons through Jesus. What do we learn about God's love? God's love is relational. If you want the next point there, it's relational. That God doesn't love us from a distance, but God is near, He's close. God's love is a very experiential thing for us. It is relational. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, we're told to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. He's blessed us with His glorious grace. What, What is God's love like? The word I use there is magnificent. Friends, God's love is magnificent. I mean, do do you notice the struggle in the language described this? He's blessed us with His grace, but not just His grace, it's His glorious grace. It's a magnificent love that He has poured out into our lives. Look at verse 7. There's three things we see about God's love here. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. What do we learn about God's love? First, redemption through His blood. God's love is costly. It costs God something for us to experience His love, it costs the blood of Christ. It costs the sacrifice of Christ for us to be able to experience the love of God instead of the wrath of God. Also, in verse seven, we have the forgiveness of our trespasses. What do we learn about God's love? It is a forgiving love. So, next blank, it's a forgiving love that God forgives us so we can have relationship. Also, in verse seven, the riches of His grace. His love is. Lavish. If you want a word there to describe His word, it's lavish. It's not stingy. He doesn't do just a little bit. He pours out the blessings of every spiritual blessing to us. It's a lavish love. Look down in your copy, of God's Word, Ephesians chapter one, verse nine, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to the purpose which He set forth in Christ. He made known to us His will. What do we learn about God's love? It's revealing. God shows us who He is. It's relationship as He reveals Himself to us. It's a revealing love. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. It says we've obtained an inheritance. God's love is generous. God's love is generous. He gives us so much similar to what he said with it being lavish. Look at verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believe in him, you were sealed ...with the promise of the Holy Spirit. You were sealed. That means God's love is secure. We don't have to worry about God getting up and falling out of love with us. You he doesn't fall into love with us and fall out of love. He doesn't have good days and bad days. God's love is unchanging and steadfast. It's secure and we rest secure in knowing that when we get up this morning... ...we're loved by God no matter what happened the day before. It's a secure love. Chapter 1, verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory may I give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him. He gives us His Spirit, the revelation of Him. His love is relational again. I know I used that word before, but I can't find a better word for it here. His love is relational. He reveals Himself to us, not from a distance, but gives the Holy Spirit within us to reveal Himself to us. Verse 18, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance? And all the saints. I, picking up on the phrase here, know the hope. His love gives hope. Okay, so I used two words there, but you get the idea. His, he gives hope. When we experience the love of God, his love gives hope to us. Verse 19. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? His power towards his love is active, friends. His love is not just a feeling. His love is active. His power is at work towards us. Chapter, that's just chapter 1. Now chapter 2. Look at verse number 4. There's, there's a lot of verses, more verses we can look at. I just want you to get the highlights. Chapter 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Notice that in verse 4, that he's rich in mercy. His love is merciful. His love is merciful. He shows mercy to us. Mercy is not giving people what they deserve. God doesn't let us have it for our sins. He doesn't lash out in anger because of our sins, he's merciful in the way he treats us. Chapter 2, verse 5. Even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. The word I'm using here is unmerited. He gives us grace. That grace is not getting what we, is getting what we do not deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we do not deserve. Deserve. And so he gives us unmerited kindness. He gives us things that we do not deserve. So unmerited. Verse 6 here. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, and we use the word for the third time here. Relational. We sing this song. Once you're in me, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. It's conveying the idea of relationship. That his love is not from a distance. It is including us at his table as a relationship there. Chapter two, verse seven. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. You can pick up on a lot of words, but focusing on kindness to us in Christ, his love is kind. His love is kind to us. Next page, chapter two, verse eight. What else do we learn about God's love? By grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. You see the word giving here. God's love is giving. Verse 9, it carries on the same thought, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Again, notice God's love is unconditional. There's your word for that line. God's love is unconditional. He doesn't do things in response to what we do. God shows unconditional love to us in that. Verse chapter 2, verse 10 here. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Friends, his, He's created us to do good works. His love is empowering. Because love is empowering. He loves us so that we can love others. He loves us so we can worship Him. He loves us so we can serve. His love is empowering. He creates us and He loves us so that we can go out and do good works. Chapter 2, verse 13 here. but Now in Christ Jesus, who you, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You're far off and He's brought you near. So His love is pursuing he pursues us. He chases after us. It's an incredible image think of God running after us. God pursuing us in His love. Chapter 2, verse 14. He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What do we learn about God's love? Is peaceful. God's love is peaceful, that we experience peace when we experience His love. Home stretch here, chapter 2, verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. What do we learn about God's love? God's love is unifying. When we've experienced God's love and other people have experienced God's love, it unifies us. God's love is such that it doesn't divide. God's love brings us together. Chapter 2, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household. Of God. What do you learn about God's love? God's love gives belonging. When we experience the love of God, it gives us a sense of belonging to Him and belonging to one another. More, we can look at a lot more verses, but chapter 3, verse 16, let's jump down to there. In chapter 3, verse 16, we see that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. What do we see about God's love? Again, use the word empowering for a second time. God's love is empowering. He strengthens us. When we experience the love of God, it builds us up. It strengthens us to do what he's called us to do. Chapter 3, verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Christ may dwell in your hearts. And going to use it one last time. Maybe not. Relational. I think there's one more coming. That we're relational again. That God's love is relational. That we get to know Him. That Christ is not dwelling from a distance. Christ is dwelling in our hearts. The love of God brings us into the presence of God. It's relational. It's said in verse 17 as well, that you're rooted and grounded in love. The next line, God's love is secure. Again, this is over and over. We see this, that God's love secures us. We don't have to wonder, is God going to love me today or not? If we're a child of God, He loves us, period. Chapter 3, verse Nineteen to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and may be filled with all the fullness of God. Two things here, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. God's love is vast. This is what we've looked at earlier. It's generous, it's big, it's expansive, but here it's vast. Then 319, to we're filled with the fullness of God. Let's use the same word again one more time, relational. That's the last time, it's the next to last one. But God's love is relational. And finally, verse 21 here. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. God's love is Godward focused. That God gets glory in all of this. Okay, so that was a quick survey of the first three chapters of Ephesians we saw. Now, as you look at your list there, I want you to notice something. How much of this list is about God's feelings? Do you see much about God's feelings in here? Love is not about feelings here. Our culture relegates love to, I fall into love, I fall out of love. But what we see here is intentionality. We see God's actions, God's choices. so think back, if you were here the Sunday before Christmas, as we worked through Advent and we got to the week of, of Christmas and the theme of love. I gave you a definition of love and I want to give it to you again. It's on the very back page of your handout if you want it to also be on the screen. This is how I define love as a choice you make to give of yourself for the good of another. Yes, there can be feelings and emotional parts of it, but love is not about feelings as much as about a choice we make to give of ourselves for the good. Of another. That's what we just saw in Ephesians 1 through 3... ...as we look back at this. Think about it. It's a choice God made. Do you notice how many times we looked at God's love... ...as we look back over your list, you saw words like God initiates... ...God reveals Himself, God pursues, God is active. God has made a choice to love us. He is active in doing that. But what's His choice? His choice is to give. Notice through that list you just made of words like He gave... ...He's generous, He's lavish, He's vast. It's, it's the concept of giving. God has made a choice to give... ...but to give of Himself. Five times we use the word relational... Because God's love is described perhaps more than any other way in Ephesians as being relational. He gives up Himself. But it was costly. It caused Christ to come and to suffer and to die for our sins. But love is a choice you make to give yourself for the good of another. You notice how God's love is good for us? It changed us. We use words like mercy, forgiving. It gives hope. It's empowering. It gives peace. It's secure. It gives you an identity. It gives you belonging. Because what we see modeled in Ephesians 1 through 3 in our identity in Christ is that God has made a choice to give of Himself freely for our good so that we could have forgiveness, so we could have mercy, so we could have grace, so we could have hope, so we could be secure, so we could be empowered to do what he's called to do, so we could have an identity in him. And now with that in view, that's how God has loved us. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Here's our standard. Walk in love exactly as Christ loved us. He's saying, I've done all this for you, now you do it as well. Now you go make a choice, regardless of your feelings, regardless of how worthy you think the other person is of receiving love, regardless of whether they're easy to love or hard to love, that doesn't matter because it didn't matter when I pursued you. God says, in light of all that, go pursue others. Make a choice to give of yourself. Just as God gave generously, lavishly, He says, I want you to do that with others, to give of yourself relationally, not from a distance, but to get yourself into their lives. Even if it costs you things, make a choice to give of yourself for their good, to extend mercy to others who've wronged you, to extend grace to build other people up, to forgive them, to give them hope, to empower them to be who God has called them to be, to give them peace, to let them not have to worry you're going to be in a good mood or a bad mood in your love that day, but to be steadfast. God says, think of all this I've done for you and now go love others in the same way. Go choose to give of yourselves for the good of other people. And friends, when we do it, please us the Lord. Look back at Ephesians 5, 2. You can say so much more about this, but walk in love as Christ loved us And gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. For when Christ obeyed God, it pleased the Father. When he obeyed God and he sacrificed himself to show the greatness of God, to show all the attributes of God, to show God's love to us so we could experience that, it pleased the Father and to the Father the sacrifice of Christ. His giving of himself in love was a fragrant offering. And friends, I can't help but think of how it pleases the Lord when we, as children of God, who understand we're already forgiven, that we're not doing this to, to try to gain God's favor, but we're doing it because we have His favor, how it pleases Him, how it is like an offering to Him when we choose to love others and to give of ourselves for their good. Friends, that's hard, but it is possible. And it's possible not with what we call white-knuckle determination, where we're not going to love others just by trying harder. But He empowers us to do it. He gives grace to do it. We talk about Galatians 5 a lot and the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is just a description we use. Fruit means the result of as an image. When we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, it produces something in our lives. You Think of Galatians 5.22. It lists a whole bunch of things like joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. They come not as a result of us striving, but us abiding in God. As we abide in God and the Holy Spirit fills us, He produces those things. But of that list, what's the first thing that He produces? The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's not something we manufacture, friends, but as we abide in Christ, as we spend time in His presence, as the Holy Spirit fills us, He produces in us a love for others that cannot be explained by human strength or human wisdom. He produces in us an ability to love others in the same way that He has loved us. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us. As we begin 2019, can I ask you to to bow your heads and just let's go into a moment of prayer as our praise team comes. I want to give you some questions to think about and to pray about as as we enter into 2019, and we think about this command to love others in the way Christ has loved us. First of all, would you take just a minute where you're praying and begin with the question, am I a child of God? Have I experienced the love of God? Because, friends, it all starts there. What we're talking about with loving others the way Christ has loved us, we cannot do apart from knowing God. So I want you to start there with that question. If you are a child of God, would you use this moment to thank him for pursuing you? Would you use this moment to thank him for initiating a relationship with you? continue in prayer, I want to ask you if you are a child of God, I want you to to think about for a minute, am I experiencing God's love in its fullness? All these things that we've just looked at from chapters 1 through 3, of him giving himself, of him initiating, of it being relational and magnificent and forgiving and lavish and revealing and on and on it went. Is that your experience? Because that is his plan for you. And if that's not your experience, would you take a minute in prayer and say, God, would you show me what obstacles there are to experiencing the fullness of your love. Because God is a revealing God and he wants us to experience his love as we've just seen in Ephesians 1 through 3. So ask him, Lord, is there something standing in the way of me experiencing what I've just seen in Ephesians 1 through 3? light of all that, think about our command, walk in love as Christ loved us. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and show us are the areas where we are not loving others the same way he's loved us. Is it the way we treat our spouse, the way we treat our kids, we treat our neighbors, other family members, classmates, co-workers, people who've wronged us, people even on the road, has got to show us that people that we're not loving the way he's loved us. And if there are friends to claim the promise of 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. to claim that, that if we'll confess to him when when we failed in loving others the way he's loved us, that he will forgive us. And not just forgive us, he will cleanse us from that. Because his desire, his will is for us to love others the way that he's loved us. And he will give us grace for that. And then finally, would you take a moment and pray and ask God to show us how to love others more this year the way he's loved us. In First Peter 4, 8, we're to love others earnestly, but we're to be stretched in loving others. And just to ask with humility, saying, Lord, give me much grace as you stretch me so that I can love others the way you want me to love them. And perhaps even ask the Lord, is there a specific person that I need to really grow in loving this year? Perhaps it's the person sitting next to you Perhaps as the kids who just ran down the hall, perhaps as your boss, the worker for you, your neighbor, someone else, say, Lord, show me, give me strength, give me grace to love them the same way you have loved me, with an unconditional love, even though it's costly, a love that pursues, it doesn't look at worthiness, but just pursues to show love, that it's secure, it's vast, that's generous, that's giving, that's hopeful, that's merciful. Father, we are so thankful for your unconditional love for us. God, to think that when we were still sinners, Christ loved us. To think that when we weren't deserving, you pursued us. God, you didn't wait for us to clean up our act or take steps to you. God, you pursued. God, you have poured out every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies on us. Lord, what an incredible thought that is. Lord, I pray for myself and these precious brothers and sisters as we go into 2019, God, that we would not lose sight of the wonders of your lavish, extravagant love for us, your children. That, God, we would marvel at it. God, forgive us for trivializing your love and just talking about it casually and blowing past without really marveling at how you have pursued and given us such a lavish love. So Lord, I pray this year for myself and these brothers and sisters, God, that we would really grow in our understanding of your lavish love for us. Lord, I pray it wouldn't stop there. God, I need much grace and I know my brothers and sisters need much grace to take that and to not stop with it being about us, but to make it about you getting glory as we love others in the exact same way, to love those who stretch us and are more challenging to love. Or in a strange way, we even say thank you and your sovereign goodness to us of putting people in our lives who are more difficult to love or so that we can grow in Christ's likeness, grow in being informed to his image. So God, we do pray this year for much grace upon grace upon grace, to do what we can never do in our own strength, and that is to love others in the same way you've loved us. When I just pray for that brother or sister here who knows in their heart there's someone they've not been loving as they should, I pray today that you would give them such supernatural strength that they will make a choice to obey you, even if it's tough. And Lord, we will look forward to hearing how you answer these prayers, how you move in response to these prayers, Lord, to show your glory and to bring people together. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?